Reflections of a Saviour podcast with your hosts, Alex Cowan, Josh Hill, Chris Mock, and John Wiggins. This week, we will be in the book of James, and John is going to take us away with some insight into this book. Well, James uh, is going to be uh, who most would claim the author. Uh, Not a lot of disagreement like we had last week about authorship. Uh, uh, This is likely James was a well-known leader uh, in the church and uh, didn't really qualify his his uh, authorship very much, uh, uh, but just assumed that he he would be known uh, to the early church. Uh, three probably men of note bore that name, uh, right? James the son of Zebedee, uh, one of the twelve. Uh, James the son of Alphaeus, uh, also one of the twelve, and James the Lord's brother. Uh, obviously, we, we I think we would all agree that James, the Lord's brother, is likely the one who wrote this book. Uh, at um, at first, this this brother of Jesus was a skeptic. Uh, Mark three, uh, and then J- James saw that uh, uh, Jesus. He saw Jesus, the risen Lord. First uh, Corinthians fifteen seven tells us that, and thus he became a believer. Acts one fourteen. Um, Let's us know that. Later, he led the Jerusalem church. We see that in Acts 15. Uh, and, um, you know, Eusebius said that James' refusal to deny Jesus as, as Lord publicly, um, as Jewish authorities demanded him to do so, cost him his life in AD 68. Uh, uh, Josephus uh, would date that a little bit earlier in 62. But um, <clears throat> either way, uh, this is uh, probably who the writer is. And the recipients would be the 12 tribes scattered. That's what chapter 1, verse 1 says. Um, uh, these tribes were, uh, the, the thought here is that the word scattered translated um, would, be, would mean, basically this was in the diaspora, would be the translation of in te diaspora. Uh, so literally the diaspora referred to Jews living outside of Palestine. Uh, so some take that metaphorically, saying the letter was addressed to Christians in general as kind of a new, true, spiritual Israel. However, the reference seems to be to Jewish Christians that were scattered throughout the empire. Uh, readers had come to faith in Christ, but still met regularly in the synagogue, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, and were led uh, by elders, uh, chapter 5, verse 14. So um, <clears throat> uh, the natural, almost casual reference to the Old Testament uh, law in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and numerous Jewish and Old Testament references throughout the letter suggest that the the large part of the audience was was Jewish. So, um, anyways, uh, James' style includes prophecy and wisdom kind of uh, literature genres. Uh, we see those in in this le- uh, this letter. Uh, perhaps uh, the readers were accustomed to such modes of discourse that he was speaking to, and so that's kind of why he used that. But. Uh, um, you know, that's kind of a little bit of background as far as who wrote it and who he wrote it to. Yeah, and James here, the, the people that he's writing to are being persecuted by some wealthy people. Um, 
more than likely some wealthy Jews who are persecuting them because they've turned from what they would consider to be the true faith to following Christ. And he opens the letter with this very familiar set of verses that is always encouraging to read um, and encouraging to remember whenever you're going through a difficult time, which some of us may be right now, is count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Those words have always brought me encouragement. That was actually the, the first sermon I ever preached. I preached from those words right there. And I remember there was a lady who came up to me, and the church I was attending at the time, her, um, her uh, family attended that church. And uh, she came up to me and she said, well, sign up. I've never quite heard it preached like that before. And you know, that's always a death sentence. You didn't do very good. I've heard that a few times. (laughs) Never heard it like that, brother. Yeah, I once preached preached at a church. And uh, one of the deacons came up to me. And he said, Alex, that was our pastor's, that's our pastor's favorite sermon to preach. But I've never heard it preached like that before. (laughs) I've lost myself on (laughs) that. We got to remember, I think James is going to talk about very weighty topics here. Testing of your faith, hearing and doing the word, sins of partiality, faith faith without works, taming the tongue, warnings to the rich, boasting about tomorrow. All of these are big topics and I hope a lot of people remember them as we preach through James. We've got to remember that when James speaks, people listen. He, uh, in Acts 15, we see him as the head of the council in Jerusalem, very prominent early leader. And he also spent a lot of time with Jesus being his brother. So when he speaks, these people are going to definitely listen. Yeah, and you you said there uh, just a second ago there that uh, James would have spent a significant amount of time with Jesus. And uh, in verse 27 of chapter 1, James just kind of gives this brief definition of what true religion is or what you could just say is true service to God and properly living a life before him is that you are to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Really just talking about a picture of holiness, but that element of caring for widows and orphans just makes me think of James probably watching Jesus and the way that he cared for people throughout his life. Uh, and just sharing that as what he sees is primary, or not primary, but a very significant part of what we do uh, as Christians. Do you think it's significant that he says, keep oneself unstained by the world rather than just untouched by the world? Yeah. yeah I mean, I think it is. you know, it's it's interesting that he, he goes in that direction because there's there seems to be, um, you know, a pretty definite connotation to unstained, that being stained by something involves you taking some of it into yourself and making that a part of who you are. I mean, I think we all know that. you can't get rid of it. Right, you can't get rid of it. We've been staining wood literally all week. I mean, just a piece after another piece after another piece. There's no way for me to take a piece of wood that's been stained and unstain it. In order for it to be unstained, I have to remove that part of the wood. I have to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, significant that... You know, we can't visit orphans and widows in our affliction and not be untouched by the world because we have to be in the world in order to do that type yeah. of ministry. So be in the world, but not of the world. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things about this book is that the, there's some similarities between James and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? We, we see the conversation about uh, mere profession is not enough to get one into the kingdom of heaven. 
uh, Sermon on the Mount, and uh, in chapter 7, verse 21, as well as uh, James chapter 2, verse 14, uh, talk about that. Uh, we also see hearing and doing go together. Uh, that's one of the things that James talks about in chapter 1, verse 22. And then character shows up in actions, chapter 3, uh, verse 11 and 12. Uh, warning against judging. Uh, we see that in chapter 4 of James. And then wrong use of wealth, chapter 5. Swearing, chapter 5, verse 12. Uh, those are just a couple examples that we see, see kind of paralleled in what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah, I think one of the most difficult things, and maybe this is a good place that we can kind of chat for a minute, is when I say difficult, I guess hard for people to think through because when we think about Christianity and we think about salvation, we're always saying it's faith, not works. It's faith, not works. And then you come to James and he's like, if you don't have works, your faith is dead. You know, and so, yeah, go for it. I just, I, I was listening to Martin Luther's biography, and he was so about faith, 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 mm. faith, so much so that he hated the book of James. Mm. And he used to say that he wished it wasn't in the Bible. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was, he was so, <laughs> so it, probably true for a lot of Because it was so difficult time. for him to, it was so difficult for him to get faith and works and how they joined up. It was almost easier to just forget about the book of James. And then people on the other side of it use use James as a justification for a works-based theology, especially mm -hmm. when you take verse 24 of chapter 2 by itself out mm -hmm. of context. You, and I quote, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Like if you take that by itself. <laughs> it seems very backwards it seems when very you read backwards. Romans 5, 1. It says we are therefore justified by faith. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Paul. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. it, I can understand why it would be difficult for a person to try to reconcile those things in your head without fully understanding what James is getting at, which is, is a, a claim to faith without any justification inside of it. Yeah, and uh, Alex, you shared in your opening illustration for your sermon on Sunday talked about, you know, knowing your audience. That's kind of... Chris, well, I'm so thankful that you were listening. Thank you, man. <laughs> uh, you're my boss. Um, so, uh, you and John both. Uh, but, um, but it is true that James probably is knowing his audience, right? And he's yep. focusing on what they need to hear um, because obviously these, these guys, are guys and gals are struggling with this element of doing what they ought to do. Mm -hmm. um, they're mm -hmm. just saying, the right, they're the whitewashed tombs, right? They look good on the outside, but inside they're, they're not doing what they ought to do. Yeah, I, to say it another way, Paul and James are not soldiers of different armies fighting against each other, but soldiers of the same army fighting back to back against enemies uh, coming from opposite directions. I mm -hmm. think that may be, it, well, what you said, uh, said in a different way. That they, said a better way. Uh, well, no, no, differently. But uh, <laughs> the same, the same uh, war on different fronts. Right, right, yeah. So because it's um, so Paul's easy. Teaching me in the, uh, right, yeah, it's so easy, and and you can see this all throughout the book of James. It's so easy to get so caught up in the reality of freedom in Christ, the reality that that is what we are in, that we can forget what we should be doing and what we can be doing to. I guess for lack of a better term, please God to, to dwell with him, to fellowship with him in a way that is good, in a way that he desires, in a way that we should desire. Yeah, it's like what Paul talks about in Romans 6 where he's like, you're no longer a slave to mm -hmm. wickedness, but you are now a slave to righteousness where mm -hmm. it, it's this picture of you literally imagine yourself being in slavery and the things that you would you know do on your daily tasks being a slave. And you get freed from that and you're like, 
okay, I have the whole world at my disposal. I can go do anything I want, but I'm just going to go back to the things that I was enslaved to. That would make no sense at all. Mm. But that's often what we do with our freedom in Christ is we return to the sin that he freed us from rather than using that freedom to live in righteousness for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it talks about hearing and doing. It's something we always try and do when we preach is application, that we don't want just people to come to church and hear a nice talk or for their Bible study to just be an academic exercise. Yeah, but for what they hear to, um, inf what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, sort of inform the things they do. Yeah, mm. move from their mind to their heart to their hands. And that's why the first question we answer every single week in the Gospel Project curriculum is, how have we applied these truths to our lives? Mm. I think it's, it's one of our, it would be the greatest disappointment to us to have somebody come here and be a part of the service and to sing the songs and to hear the word preached and to go out and their life not be changed at all. That mm -hmm. That's like the antithesis of what we want this church to be about. Yeah, it, there's a there's a whole chapter on speech. And I think about mm -hmm. that kind of not hearing but doing. I think about uh, how many times I have to talk to Jonah right now, who's three, you know, who just has all the vocabulary in the world almost at his disposal, and yet has, uh, you know, can, can set the world afire in a blaze with his mouth, right? Um, because he, <laughs> he doesn't really have control over a lot of things he, he says, and and so uh, he's just repeating things and so forth. But but um, uh, but but so so true that yet you know I mean chapter three, um, uh, a whole chapter to say, hey man, you what you're what comes out of your mouth is is vitally important. I mean, he says it this way. He says, um, does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Obviously not, right? I mean, our, and Paul talks elsewhere about how our, our the things we say ought to be seasoned with salt, right? In, in the sense that we, the things we say ought to be for healing. They ought to be for uh, that, that they ought to be for blessing and, um, and, and obviously we're prone to, to use our, our, to say things, uh, because of our sinfulness that, uh, are hurtful, you know, and, and, and are not salty in that sense. A very wise preacher once said that the, the third commandment of the 10 commandments is do not take the Lord's name in vain because the letter three makes a W and words matter. <laughs> that was John about two what. years ago. That was John uh, about ten years ago in the chapel. I remembered funny. that though. That's that's encouraging. Um, words, that you remember words, matter, right? <laughs> that's, words matter. I thought I'm when, stealing that for the next time I'm preaching the Ten Commandments, <laughs> and that's going to be my sermon yeah. illustration. So you know, a little uh, earlier than than what you said about the same mouth can blessing and curse and spring forth the same fresh and salt water, right? So. With our mouths, this is in verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with our tongues we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And I can't help but, but think about some of the things that are going on even in this world today. We see so many terrible and unjust things happening in, in all frames of life. I think recently about this young man who, who was killed yesterday. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, it seems like so often in pursuit of trying to make something make sense in our head, kind of like what you talked about, Alex, on Sunday in your, um, in your you sermon. You listened as well, Josh. Thank I did. You, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, I'm not just trying to compete with Chris at all. <laughs> but, you know, we put up walls so that 
we don't get hurt again, mm-hmm. right? So we try to justify things that we already think are a certain way so that we don't have to adjust our thinking, right? And no matter where you fall on what side of injustice or how you feel the media portrays anything, we ought to be grieving that someone who was made in the image of God yep. is no longer on this earth. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't continue to bless our Lord and Father and then not make much of the fact that these people who are dying are made in his image. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that's something that we can very easily forget. Yeah. Or, then, or just not even people who die, but just people who are, are enemies or people we disagree with. And he's, we, he's doing air quotes on these, by the way. We were, uh, they're, they're, it's easier for us to forget that they're made in the image of God. Uh, yes. You know, yeah. something yeah. especially to remember as we come up to an election year. Yeah. And, and James kind of gives us sharing the negative there with Josh spoke of that passage saying, you know, this is how you ought not to act. And then in verse 17 of chapter three, really clear and almost kind of beautiful poetic language on how we should respond is, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open, open to, to reason, reason. full mm-hmm. of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Mm. Um, it's like James is trying to tell us something that we're not supposed to be about division, but unity mm-hmm. and that we should be people who are willing to listen to other people's thoughts and ideas. And really, I think of the word meekness, you know, Christians should be the most meek people on the earth, because if we truly believe that we have access to God and his word and we know truth in knowing Jesus then we can be confident in what we believe. And it doesn't matter what somebody shares with us when it comes to our faith. We can be confident that what we believe is right. So there's no reason for us to get upset or angry with another person who believes differently. But we can listen to them patiently and maybe win them to Christ. And it's, that's a good way to lead us into chapter 4. You know, The first question at the beginning of chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Oh, man. Mm -hmm. James uh, doesn't pull his punches. Not at all. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a good word, yeah. I mean, and after that, he's going to go into God opposing the proud, giving grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to the Lord. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Um, weep. Uh, you know, uh, mourn. Uh, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's almost like every single other line is a new sermon, you know, or, or a new truth point, or may, maybe a truth point that kind of is a little bit connected to the previous one, but yet has its own profoundness, uh, you know. Maybe that's why we spent so long in James when we were preaching through it. <laughs> yeah, it must have been. Yeah, we spent a little while. Uh, and, I mean, every, every you know, every so... Um, Every few verses, there's uh, there's just something profound that James says that makes you go, man, that's mm-hmm. uh, that is right and true, and uh, uh, that is honoring the Lord. Uh, that's what it means to honor the Lord. That's a practical way that I can 
I can live faithfully. Um, There's a little bit of Ecclesiastes here in James. I don't. I, all the mm-hmm. wisdom literature, yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, like in Ecclesiastes chapter four, you know, talking about all of the the downtrodden and the people that we look at and see. But also, even earlier in Ecclesiastes, he's saying there's a time to dance, there's a time to yeah. mourn, there's a time to weep. It's almost like if you were to write Ecclesiastes through the lens of a of Jesus of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, and how timely is the next passage? Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 4, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And then he goes on to talk about how you ought to say if the Lord wills. I mean, have we not been spending the last few months kind of scrambling and thinking through, okay, we had all these plans for the year, and a pandemic mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Now what do we do? Yeah. You know, and I, I think, you know, this passage to me, and you guys may disagree with this, isn't so much that James is giving us a formula of saying that we should always say the Lord wills verbally, but the heart and attitude of our prayers and the things that we do should always be from a place of this is what I'm planning to do. And if it's the Lord's will, this will take place. And I'm trusting him to care for me no matter what happens. Mm. I remember my grandfather who just passed away a couple weeks ago, a a phrase or not a phrase, but something he used to always say, and my dad shared this uh, at his graveside was that he would say, you plan your life like you're going to live the next hundred years, but you live your life like you're going to die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just something good for Christians to hold on to is that you're wise mm-hmm. and caring for your family, wise and dealing with your affairs, but you're living in righteousness knowing that this could be the last day that you draw breath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. What about the whole uh, oaths and swearing part in chapter 5? Because we live in a society that requires us, if we go to court, to put our hand on a Bible and swear. Don't require you to put your hand on a Bible Do anymore. Not. Do not. Okay. So you can say, if, so I, if I went, I could say, sorry, I, I'm a Christian at don't believe in doing that. No, you probably have to swear, but just not on a Bible. Okay. I think I had to do an oath when I became an American citizen, so I don't know if I have to repent from that sin, but I had to do, again, <laughs> had to do an oath. <laughs> Yikes. Sorry, guys, that's some public repentance right there, but I had to do it. Think about all of the oaths that are, you know, necessary in the lives that we live today. What about a Pledge of Allegiance? Hey, that doesn't matter. It's not covered in there. It just says oath. <laughs> what causes you to quarrel? <laughs> there you go. There you go. I think my passions are a little too at war within me to discuss that. We're not going to deal with that. No, I get what you're saying, though. And there there are some things in Scripture that I think culturally translate different. I think an oath probably has a different connotation yeah, in this time than it does for We don't really do that. Yeah, and the yeah. purpose here is that you are so, like, you're supposed to be so well-respected by people for telling the truth, that when you say something, they go, oh, I believe Chris. He doesn't have to say, I swear, I swear, I swear. Chris just says, yeah, I didn't do this, or I did do it, and people go, I believe you. Because they look in your life and they see a track record of integrity, um, that you don't have to swear on something for them to believe you. I think that's great. And we just close out with a prayer of faith in Go chapter five. I, I think one more thing. Let me, let me give this thought. Um, <clears throat> I think this is the one who uh, 
Uh, let's see. My uh, I'll read the last couple verses here. It says, My brothers, if any uh, one among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I, I remember uh, talking briefly about that picture and and uh, uh, just the importance of uh, those who are away from the Lord. You know, we just read, we just did Hebrews, right? And it's, it's written to these believers who were tur turning away from the faith because of persecution, right? Now we're reading about b persecuted believers who, who have brothers who uh, they're trying to win over to the Lord. I mean, and he's, James is encouraging uh, believers saying, hey, listen, you know, whatever it takes, uh, win your brother, you know, over to the Lord. And, and he spent five chapters challenging uh, challenging believers and how to live and conduct themselves in a way that would win favor with uh, their brother, right? Uh, in an effort to uh, hopefully uh, keep them from a multitude of sin, you know, and, and keep them from the peril of neglect in Hebrews or, or uh, keep them from unbelief and so forth. As, as uh, the writer of Hebrews laid out, um, uh, the thought there is, um, Man, there, there is a need for believers to move to their, uh, to other believers uh, who are in jeopardy of, of their faith being shipwrecked, you know? I mean, in the sense, in, kind of in that, in that vein of thinking is, uh, you know, are, is there somebody on, on your mind that comes to mind when you think about someone who's away from the Lord that may need just an, an encouraging word, maybe something we could just kind of practically do uh, or put action to uh, in light of here in the podcast is say, hey, is there anybody in your 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 life that you can say, hey, look, like this person's a little away from the Lord. You know, their their walk with the Lord is not what it what it used to be, and you can kind of see some tendencies that are lending itself to that. And mm -hmm. maybe the application would be, hey, do whatever it takes to win them over so that they don't fall into a multitude of sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Always remembered by. A shepherd's crook, purpose of the crook is to pull back the runaway sheep. And uh, beautiful picture that is. As always, thank you for listening this week. Uh, join us next week as we will delve into First Peter. We love you and we're praying for you. And we'll speak to you next week.